Welcome everybody to the Minimap Cast. This is your weekly source of gaming news, questions, and impressions from minimap.com.au. My name is Kerry Palmer, and joining me, as always, is Jeremy Bradditch. I'm punching the air. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. It's me, as always. Hello. How's the day going? Hello. Good. We're Good. Recording, a- recording on a Monday. It's a Monday afternoon and it's kind of warm. It it's, is. It's, it's, I, so, okay. So I wake up in the morning and put, put my pants on one leg at a time like everybody else. <laughs> Just like everybody um, else. Specifically before um, I put my pants on, what I do every morning is I, uh, after I've had a shower, I'll go back into my bedroom and I'll say without like, pants. hey Google. Like, no, specifically with our pants, I'll say, hey, Google, what's the weather today? Because that will determine whether I wear shorts or pants. Yep. Yep. Um, it said in the morning, uh, it today, uh, no, currently it is 18 degrees. And uh-huh. I'm like, cool. I went to go reach for my pants and I was about a, a second away from putting my, one leg in. And then I said, <laughs> today it will have a high of 29. And I went, are you fucking kidding me? Like, I like just went, like, what the fuck? <laughs> um, so I put them away and put some shorts on. Yep, definitely. What's what your you- What's your threshold? For, what's your, so for me, right? If it's mm-hmm. below 20, it's yep. long sleeve shirt or jacket, long okay. sleeve pants. Right. If I'm going short sleeve shorts it's like yeah. 24 and then in the middle it's a little variable between like when i go like half half but what's what's your threshold my threshold is when it's about 21 or 22 that's when i start to consider shorts okay um uh because i tend to come home in the afternoon sun which is very warm a lot mm. of the time mm-hmm. um and there's not a lot of shade from my route to to and from the train station, to and from work and home. Um, so I'm 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 mostly like I'm mostly just in the sun that entire walk. Uh so definitely shorts. Um mm. and I'm usually a t-shirt regardless. Like once it gets to like 15 degrees, I'm usually still in a t-shirt. Um, but maybe it with like a sweater on, or something. Yeah, like it depends on like anything higher is like uh, sorry, yeah, anything higher is like, you know, long sleeve and a jacket maybe sort of thing. Um, sorry, sorry, anything lower. Yeah, anything, anything, anything more is, cold. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, uh, and then from then to maybe 24 is like maybe wearing a hoodie. Oh, you're wearing a hoodie at 24. But like, like, like a zip one that's open with my sleeves rolled up. Right, 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 right. Keep the core warm, allow the arms to cool. Breathe. Breathe. Breathe in the air. What is that? Led Zeppelin. No, Pink Floyd. <laughs> right. Sorry, Pink Floyd. Well, either. Well, basically the same thing, right? This is the Minimap Cast. Uh, if you weren't aware, this is a podcast about video games. Uh, we're going to talk about video games this week, as we have every other week. Uh, you can go to minimap.com.au uh, to find this podcast all of our other episodes of this podcast and our other podcasts, uh, like The Pecking Order, which is our Kissability Pop Culture Ranking podcast, uh, and our Mini Disc Game Club specials as well. Uh, what else have we got over there? The Occasional Written Word. So you can find all of those things on the website. Uh, you can also find this podcast on any platform for podcasts that you choose to use to do that. 
Wow, it's a it's a weird one today. I'm sorry, everybody. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you want to support us, you can rate the show positively on whatever platform you get your podcasts on, whether that's a tick or a plus or a heart or whatever it is. Um, and uh, if you want to support us monetarily, you can also go to patreon.com slash minimapau uh, to support us there if you choose to do so. Uh, we also wanted to say thank you to Shook for letting us use the Moog Model D improv music as the music for the Minimap cast. You can listen to more of Shook's music at shook.bandcamp.com. Whew, that was that was different. It's not normally that that rough. I apologize. <laughs> it's been a while. Um, it's been a strange week. I I think we're. I hesitate to say that we're coming out of the hectic release season uh, because there's a brand new game on this list, but it feels like things are starting to calm down a little bit. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like there's this, well, rather there's the game I'm going to talk about soon, which is Stranger of Paradise Final Fantasy Origin. After that, there is Kirby this month. Mm. And then after that, I'm I'm not as clear what's coming up soon. Yeah, um, I, I think there's one or two things in April, but I'm very vague on what they might be. Yeah, there's like, yeah, I'm 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 kind of struggling a little bit to think about. I'm I'm I'm, uh, I'm looking it up right now. Okay. Uh, so we've got Kirby, Tiny Tina's Wonderland is coming out the same day as Kirby, so that's this week, sure. end of this week. Right. Um, oh, World Rally Championship 10. Yeah, the only thing that I'm specifically looking forward to going uh, like soon is Ghostwire Tokyo, which is in a few days. Yep. Um, and then Lego Star Wars next month. Lego Star Wars April 5th. That's in like two weeks, Jeremy. Yeah. Yeah, and then April is like, yeah, April is like Lego Star Wars... And then a bunch MLB of ports. Game. Yeah, like a ton of a ton of games that are already on other platforms. And then Nintendo Switch Sports. Right, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then it gets then it then it gets a bit a bit quiet. Yeah. Vampire the Masquerade Swan Song, whatever that is. I doubt that'll actually come out. Those games don't really actually exist anymore. If it says Vampire the Masquerade on it, I just assume it's never gonna come out. No, the the only reason you should think that if it's the the one that is never actually coming out, the Bloodlines two or three, whatever it is, <laughs> just Bloodlines. That's anything. the only one. That's, because you know, remember they announced that, and then they announced like three more games that are now are now coming out before the one they announced first. Yeah, and the one that they announced first is like they had to change like lead developers and restart development. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, Jeremy. The day is finally here. Tell us about your experience so far with Stranger of Paradise. So Final Fantasy, no, sorry, Stranger of Paradise, Final Fantasy Orindum. Yeah, please, <laughs> say um, it properly. The prequel to Final Fantasy 1, as it is. Uh, I think this game's pretty good. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm, I'm having a lot of fun with it. I, and when I say pretty good, I mean, I'm having fun with the game. It's not like great. It is some of it is some of it is bad. Mm, mm. But I'm having a lot of fun with it. Mm. So does that make it a good game? Mm. No. But it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> I know I know what you mean. I um, It's so weird. It's so weird. It's like I'll, it's I loaded that up on PS5 and I'm I'm watching these cutscenes. I'm like this looks 
kind of gross. <laughs> oh, it, it looks fucking terrible. It looks really bad. Um, it like it looks like a PS3 game. Um, so I have I have some thoughts about it. I'm going to start off with the combat of it, um, which is uh, uh, Ninja Theory. Yeah, Ninja Ninja Theory's Nin- made this game. Yes, yes, not Team Ninja, <laughs> who I always get mixed up. Oh. No, 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 no. No, it's it's Team Ninja. Team Ninja, Ninja right? Okay. Ninja Theory, Ninja Theory making Hellblade. Hellblade. Okay, right. Yes, yes. Yeah. I I can never remember which one is which because they sound so similar in my head. Yeah, no, um, Team Ninja who did um the like th- the 3D um Ninja Gaidens who have most recently yeah. done Neo. Yes, and they do they do Devil May Cry. No, on and off. Uh, maybe not. I don't um, think they did five. Uh, they did Dead or Alive. Um, interestingly. Uh, yeah, th- this game is like, it is a character action game. Like it is the most character action feeling game that you can imagine. It is like arcadey in that way where you are like, it, it, it's all about getting off as much damage as you can while not being in a position to get hit. And I mean that in a different way than a FromSoft Dark Souls kind of way where you can try and interrupt attacks and stuff. I don't know how often you can interrupt attacks in this game. It is more like slash through the enemy. They'll take the hits, but when they decide to use a move, that move will not be able to be interrupted in that sort of um, like, yeah, like arcadey kind of way. Um, You can't like stun lock someone and just wail on them. Yeah, um, there are a lot of things happening mechanically in this game, and it is it is honestly a lot to take in <sighs> really quickly. And we knew this from the demo. Like, yeah. this is not like this is not new news. Um, I, ha- I had forgotten just quite how many paragraphs there were at the start of the game that you have to <laughs> read to grasp the mechanics. <laughs> there are so so many. Um, but I think I, I think for the most part they all work fairly well together. Some of them, some of the mechanics and like some of the combat mechanics, I don't use as much as others. Um, you messaged me when I was playing it saying, "Have you been using magic at all?" And I said, "No, not yet." And you said, "Okay." You remember that being really obtuse. I started using it. Fuck, it's really obtuse. It's it so is, weird, right? It is so so weird. So. When you think of a magic in a Final Fantasy game, a Square Enix game even, you would think <laughs> it's either a menu with spells that you just cast yeah. or like maybe a move that you might build up and then use the spell and it will take up some mana. In this, they have an MP gauge, kind of, but you are sort of like aiming where the spell's going to be and there's a timer that goes all the way around only when you're in the mage class, by the way, as far as I can tell, mm. you are then, uh, there's a timer that's going around and that timer also doubles as a radial menu to decide which spell you want to cast. That's and right. as the timer goes up, it goes from stage one to stage two to stage three of the spell, which would be like fire, fira, firaga. And depending on when you cast the spell is determined by when you cast it via like the timing of the radial menu that is also the countdown. It is, it is so weird. It is yep. very, very, very bizarre. Um, I don't really enjoy playing a mage in this game at all. No, me um, either. Which makes me wonder is maybe I should give it a better go because 
usually in those types of scenarios, then it'll be very overpowered and really fun. Um, <laughs> it seemed really strong when I was using it, so I might give it another go. You know why it seemed really strong, though? Because every time you open the menu, you didn't know what spell you were going to cast. And so by the time you decided anything, <laughs> <It's only stage laughs> you, you charged it up. So you charged it all the way up. Yeah. Um, the classes in this game work as jo- like like they're called jobs, and you have like different uh, uh, different level up trees, like different skill trees, which you could then put class specific XP into those trees, so that um, sorry, I just bought my water bottle. You put class specific MP into uh, XP into those trees to then get more combos. Um, cause it's a, it, being one of those games made by that team, it is all about combos and different moves of combos while you're like fighting, which mm. you can set in a menu. You can set mm-hmm. which moves go to like which, um, combination of button presses. Um, <laughs> it's, it, there's so much, it's so much like there are many, many systems in this game and they all work adjacent as well as together. You can decide to use the systems you want to use and ignore the ones you don't want to use, which I think is, is, is maybe its strengths. There is no, like aside from basic, like just better attacks, you can largely just sort of wail on enemies. And as long as you're good at dodging and blocking, um, then it'll mostly work. There's like, there's like, there's a poise meter as well, which doubles as your, um, like, uh, like uh, sometimes it's like how much mana, like using different moves can bring down your poise meter. So you can not be like staggered as quickly. Um, and there's also like another bar you're building up, which doubles as your mana, which is like your, it's your move like gauge essentially which also you can build up and then use while different it, you, you that is the crux of the game is managing that bar to mm. try and make sure you've got enough to use the move you want to use while also not having none that you feel like suddenly you can't attack and you're only doing pissy weak attacks mm. um and there's also like an absorb ability you can do which is like kind of fun um there's a lot. There's a fucking lot. And while you are doing all of this, you are collecting a ton of gear, which I'm largely dispressing the oh, like auto equip. So um, much button. gear. So much gear. And each gear, most gear pieces that are like rare and above have an, uh, a cl- a job associated with it. That's right. And if you are wearing the gear that is um, has the class associated with it in the correct class, then you will become stronger but if you wear different gear for that class, you will then gain XP for the job for the in the gear that you are wearing. I believe. I right. Think. So you could. I've been gaining. I've mm. been gaining XP for jobs that I haven't been using, which makes me think that that is where that's coming from. Yeah. I'm not hundred percent sure on that, but I'm pretty sure. Um, that is my deduction. It's like an EXP share. Kinda. Yeah. It's fun. I think it's. I think it's actually really fun. Um, there are sometimes walls that I hit, which I am have trouble figuring out how to be better at it. And mm. more often than not, the way I get over those walls, unfortunately, is not to be not to make the class that I'm in stronger, but to go back to the class that I think is stronger than the others. Um, I think the big swords are the like, and I I I don't mean this reductive reductively because there's difficulty settings, but it feels more like easy mode. Like I've been using these like twin blades, which I think are really fun. Um, the heavy sword just seems to be stronger in every way, um, which is 
kind of annoying because I want to sort of specialize into things that I want to do, but I feel like it keeps funneling towards me using the big swords because it just it just like seems like a better class. I wonder um, if that's like a like the strength of the job becomes more evident when you put more points into it by using it more kind of thing like like marvel's well, like, avengers right where they become the characters become more individualized and more iconic and more fun to play after you played them for 10 hours like maybe but like i've put way more time like like i kill all the small enemies with my twin swords and only really do bosses with my big sword and so my twin swords are way higher level than my than my big sword. Mm, okay. Um, these all have correct names, by the way. They're not just twin sword and big sword. Um, and I, and I'm still taking out bosses way easier with the, with the big sword. Um, I don't really know why. Uh, you can change class on the fly. At least at the moment, I've got two jobs going at like at like which I can just press Y and swap mid battle, which is cool because then you can like cancel out of combos and then sort of have the ability to run and dodge if you need to, and then keep attacking with another class. Um, jobs are classes, by the way. I'm not sure if that's evident, but I'm saying classes a lot because that's what, the, what I call them in my head, but they are called jobs in this game. Um, it's a lot. Uh, I think it's like, I, I, I think it is fine. And I think there is a good way to learn it, but I just wish that the different jobs were more viable. Um, mm. And then if you go down to the bottom of the job trees, <clears throat> you can then unlock more job trees. So I found like a thief job tree, um, but I can't go into it unless I go all the way down through my twin swords and as well as another one. And then once I go through both of them, I can then unlock another job. Um, I think it's interesting that this game is level-based. Um, it's not just going through zones like I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be sort of disconnected bespoke Dark Souls type zones because it, it is a Dark Souls formula of you have a limited, limited amount of heals and there are cubes over there, which are your bonfires essentially, which are your checkpoints yeah. where you can level up. Um, I don't think you lose XP when you die though. So it's sort of like, it, they're not as important. They're just about getting your health back. Yeah. Um, but And they say yeah, your checkpoint. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. Yes. They are your checkpoint as well. Um, they... Uh, not nearly as like relieving as ones in Dark Souls because you sort of just find them and you're like, hey, go, go, my, go my health back. I'm just going to keep going. I'm not learning the map like I do in, in a Dark Souls. The map design isn't very good. The map, like visual design, I think is pretty cool because as we've spoken about in the past, they're all based on previous Final Fantasy games. Some I'm recognizing, some I'm not because I haven't played all of them, definitely. <laughs> um, but and also there's I, like, it's pretty hard to recognize a bridge from Final Fantasy 1. Yes, yes. Um. That being said, I think that like like gameplay wise, I think they're really poorly designed. They're not really they're not fun to walk around in, honestly. Mm. Um, the dialogue is both great and terrible at the exact same time. Like I truly love how campy and like rough and ugly it is, and how mm. much fucking every character doesn't really talk to each other. They sort of just react to things. Mm. Um, anytime anyone mentions crystals or chaos to Jack, that's all he ever wants to speak about. Someone was like, "Oh, like well, I'm going to show you to this guy. This guy made a deal with chaos many, many years ago. If you want to take my pirate ship over to him, you're welcome to." And he goes, "I want to know more about the deal with chaos." Like that is. <laughs> Immediately what he says disregards anything before or after the phrase chaos. I just want to talk about that. Um, my way was played like five minutes into the game. Yeah. Just, it's just like faintly for like, for like 30 seconds. Yeah. Like an echo. 
Incredible. I am so ready for that to be the ongoing song that happens in moments of character development for Jack Garland. I am so fucking happy about that. It happens twice. <laughs> yeah, once at the beginning, once at the end. Um, like, visually, the game is really fucking ugly. Like, like there, there are so many awful like ways of aliasing and blurry backgrounds and, mm, and chunky like, objects and chunky objects, really poor, like lip syncing for character models. I don't know if maybe it's like lip sync to the Japanese dialogue. I'm not too sure, but like the characters don't look like they're saying words. They're just doing that open and close mouth thing. Um, I think it's good that the actual dialogue and story is doubling down on itself while also not acknowledging that it's doing that. They are, Jack is the most like bro like mm. edgy kind of guy from a, like a, like, you know, early Assassin's Creed era video games or sort of, you know, like Jack's got chewed. I mean, a genuine early vi- 3D video game chewed. At well, a like tube. Marcus Phoenix. Yeah, he wasn't so much chewed. He was more just like anger a lot of <laughs> right. the time. Yeah, I'm trying to think of like a good, like kind of like Dante from Devil May Cry, but maybe like an angry Dante. Like a he, he's he's a shadow the hedgehog is what he is. He genuinely <sighs> is a shadow the hedgehog. Um, I don't know, man. This game's fucking weird. I've seen some people say they finished in 17 hours, um, which is like really? way shorter than I expected um, in a good way because I want to kind of get through this game at a brisk pace. Yeah. Um, I've met a pirate named Bicky. I've met the king. I have fought the pirate named Bicky. Now I'm on my way to the realm of the dark elves and I'm there and I'm like, this place is fucking shithouse to walk around in. Um I don't know. It's fucking so weird. I want to just kind of see this game. I might actually bump it down to the easiest difficulty and just try and breeze through. Mm. Um, being strong in this game feels fun. And I don't know if I really want to grind against it a lot. I kind of want to have a pretty frictionless playthrough and just sort of get feel the story while being very overpowered, maybe. Yeah. Um, well, you mentioned difficulty. And so I like, I, I played the demo for about an hour the other day and I, mm. I played the so this is the new demo that feeds yes. into the full game. So this is yes. this is release cop like version yeah. basically. Yeah, th- this is basically like the first few hours of the game. Mm. Uh, and this is opposed to the E3 demo when they announced the game last year. It came out, and something I noticed at the end of the demo last year was that it came it it immediately funneled you into a survey about oh how hard did you find these types of encounters? How hard did you find the boss? What did you think about the jobs? What did you think about the gear? Like they asked a lot on a really granular level. So I really got the impression that they were they were really in the tweaking phase of tuning mm. difficulty and and drop rates and stuff like that. And I found so I already had that familiar familiarity with the game, but I I kind of brushed it to the side. But when I finally got into the combat of the game, I found it much simpler and easier, I think, than I initially I feel the did. Same playing it in playing it in june last year which made it a lot more enjoyable yeah i thought so too like it did just feel a bit funner just a bit slashier you you weren't as hurt when you got hit you weren't Mm -hmm. as like or or staggered i think there were less enemies at the start like like i think it's just the enemies hitting way harder last year yeah so i think it's just it feels less soulsy so it it feels soulsy by like like a really 
distant relation now rather than like, oh, this is what they're going for. And I think it's honestly to the game's benefit. Yes. That it's more, it feels more like an action game now than it does like a Souls game. It feels like a, like an action game with like a Souls flavor. And I think, you know, one of the reasons why I think I'm finding the fights more fun now, like I didn't hate the demo last time. I kind of enjoyed how quirky and goofy and dumb it was, but like, I think one of the reasons I'm finding it more fun now is because the fights are more rewarding in that way. Cause they're not like the fights were kind of a chore last time mm. I was looking at enemies and I'm like, Oh fuck. Like I'm like, I'm just not going to, w- not going to make it through this fight. Like yeah, I've got nearly no health left. Yeah. And now when I'm getting through a fight, I'm like, all right, cool. Like I can, I can take this on. This is going to be a fight. I will have to, you know, take care of it but I am not dreading going into the next one. So I think they have tuned it. Like uh, they've gone from uh, uh, like, yeah, like, like you said, that souls esque feeling to a kingdom hearts, final fantasy feeling, you know, like it's, you know, you're not going to enter like a fight completely fucking unequipped Mm. because Mm -hmm. you had to deal with the last one. Mm. Um, So yeah. It also does one of my least favorite things, which is like, it's not giving me like a letter ranking, but it's doing that thing where the characters are like, oh man, I really messed that one up, huh? Sorry, I'll do better next time. It's like, I thought I did fine that round. And the game has just told me that actually I handled it poorly. So fuck you, game. <laughs> I think, I don't think that's the, that's a, uh, I don't think that's a you thing. I think that's a like, that's what happens when your teammates get hit too much. Yeah, but that's like that that like they put that in there as a measure of how well the fight went. Suppose. I and never so when actually... the fight finishes, like they do it in Final Fantasy VII Remake too, where they're like you know, you know, I, I just gave you the example, you know what I'm talking about. But like Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't know. Like it it it, it when the game grades you like that, it 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 removes room for you to feel good about an encounter, regardless of whether or not you performed well. The you thing, man. <laughs> I, I, I quite like that. I think that's a good way is like, I think that's much better than like, you know, C. Grade. Yeah, I agree. It, it is. It is better. Um, yeah, I, I think, I think this game is all right. I don't, I don't know who I would recommend this game to. Yeah. But I think it's all right. <laughs> yeah. It, it's because you don't, you kind of don't really want to recommend it to like Final Fantasy diehards, right? Uh, I I recommend this game to people that like Final Fantasy uh, enough, but like Kingdom Hearts a lot. Interesting. Yeah. But mechanically. Oh, mechanically, I don't know. It's not really a Final Fantasy game like that, so I don't know who. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a strange game, this Stranger of Paradise. Yeah. My way is good, though. <laughs> well, it has been for decades. Yeah. <laughs> Jeremy, why why is Tetris on this list? Beat the campaign on Expert, baby. Tetris Effect. Tetris Effect. Connected you beat it on, on the Expert. Xbox, oh, okay. No, I see. Expert. And boy, were my hands sweaty by the end of that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
expert is not a very fun way for me to play that game. Um, and I think, I think I'm, I'm glad I did it. Um, I don't know how much more expert I'm going to play. If, if I'm going to keep playing that game, cause I just sort of will always keep playing that game. Um, cause I think it's like exquisite, but, um, I think expert is too fast for the campaign because the campaign is a lot about feeling the level and sort of having this like genuine, like emotional connection to what the game is sort of reading to you. Um, and it's like the, the, the emotions it's trying to convey by the backgrounds and the music and the location and the piece shapes and the piece like sounds and all that stuff. Right. Like it's, it's very crafted, but more often than not in expert mode in the journey, which is the campaign um, pieces were immediately down. Um, and then I had about a second to interact with it before it would drop um, immediately, like before it would like stay dropped and the next piece would show up. So set like concrete. Yes. yes. Um, I think that, you know, Hard Tetris is always going to be included because people are really good at it and you need, you know, to cater towards those people that have played Tetris for 30 years. Um, and, you know, if I get to that point where I'm that good, then that that's great. Um, but, like, the campaign, I think, doesn't benefit from it being um, always hard. Uh, I think that game needs, uh, like, like it, it's, you know, it, it needs its fast moments and its slow moments to complement the fast moments. It needs its... And needs its give and its take, mm-hmm. um, and I don't think that it being always fast really helps any of that at all. A lot of the really slow moments were still quite fast, um, and I I just didn't really enjoy it as much. But yeah. I finished it to sort of say, hey, I finished it. Um, got mostly C's and D's throughout the whole thing, um, but you know that's fine. I still like to playing Tetris online is still really fun in that. Mm, I haven't so, given that a go. Actually, what's that like? It's it's just like com- it's just ba- like competitive battle Tetris against each other. Um, but you also get the effect mode, so oh, you can press okay. the triggers. So like a lot of the time, that is where the game gets decided, and it is racing to get to that. Mm. But if you can if you can make it through like someone else's effect mode, then like oh, like you're you're onto something there. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, suddenly you get 10, 15 lines of junk that you got to break through. Um, yeah. And all of the time back. it's like a lot of time it's two people affect moding each other at the same time. And you're like, Oh, who's this going to break first? And like, it's, mm-hmm. it's cool. Nice. Yeah. I found when the, when the normal mode of the Tetris got hard, the Tetris effect got hard. That's, that's when I started to sort of appreciate the game less. I am. Um, right. Cause yeah, I felt like it was much harder to appreciate those, the, the moments, the actual effects they were showing you and giving you when, yeah, it was just hellfire. Uh, I did actually have like, so I, I was playing it on the couch and then I finished at about one thirty AM, which was far too late for what the next day was going to be for me. And, <laughs> uh, I, I fell asleep on the couch afterwards cause I was just so tired. Um, not like immediately as if I passed out, like I ran a marathon, but like I was <laughs> sitting on the couch for a few more minutes after I turned off the Xbox and I just sort of like had a little, like an hour nap. Um, and I started to actually experience the Tetris effect again. Oh. <laughs> like the, 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 the Tetris you effect never phenomenon. Playing. Well, like, you know, the, you know, the phenomenon of the Tetris effect. Vaguely. 
it, it's like when you close your eyes, you actually start to see the pieces. Um, yeah. That is the the phenomenon known as the Tetris effect, which is a, like a an, an official thing that is recognized as a thing that happened. So weird. Um, yeah, right. Uh, I then experienced that <laughs> and went, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> My brain. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, that's intense. That's what I've been playing. Cool. I, uh, I've been, you know, I gave my thoughts on the Stranger Paradise demo, playing a lot more Persona. But the, the new thing I've been playing this week is the, the eight new tracks released for Mario Kart 8 Deluxe on Switch. Uh, not on Wii U, as, as uh, much to Ollie's chagrin. Uh, <laughs> so the Mario Kart. About that, and I was like, you shouldn't expect that. He goes, yeah. <laughs> 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 yep. Yeah, that, yep. I think that's a reasonable thing to say. Uh, so the DLC came out, right? Yeah. Uh, it's two cups, eight tracks. Mm-hmm. There's going to be six releases in total, so six groups of eight, total of 48 tracks, which is doubling the amount of tracks that is in that game already. It's incredible. Like, it's so... F- like, this This. This has to be a... We were thinking of doing a Mario Kart 9, but then decided not to, right? Something like that. Or like... It's so late. Yeah, I wonder if they were going to do Switch Pro and then they couldn't do Switch Pro. So instead of doing like Mario Kart 9 to push Switch Pro sales, they were like, okay, Switch... Mario Kart 9 now has to be a system seller for the next Nintendo console. So we have to we have to shelve that. Let's give them something. And I mean, they had the expansion pass, the, the like Nintendo Online plus expansion pack from October. I reckon since then they've been working on it because they were like, yeah. we're going we're gonna to add it into there. Um, yeah, I, I reckon this was like a, like, I, I don't even think it was like a Mario Kart 9 being on Switch Pro sort of thing. I reckon it was more of a like, let's do the math. We have an X user base are we going to make more money making another one with all of these tracks that we're going to make anyway? Or shall we just sell it to the previous customers? Mm. And There's so many. It's it's the yeah. highest selling Switch game. Yes. And they looked at it and went like, let's just sell it to the old ones. And I, and I honestly think it's a good idea because the mechanics yeah, so of I. Mario Kart 8 are so solid. They're so, yes. they're, they're pristine, you know? They, they're almost yeah. unimpeachable. Like beyond it being like the the highest selling game on switch it's one of the best games on the switch yeah yeah and it's the best mario kart has been yeah so you've got your eight new tracks almost all of them i think seven out of eight of them are re-releases from old games that haven't been there before and i actually i sam sam and i played these together i really dug these tracks i really enjoyed playing them and I haven't been able to figure out yet whether it's just because they're new <laughs> or not. You know what I mean? Um, so but, do you know where these tracks are from? Yeah, a lot of them are from different places. So what's interesting is this is the first release of the Mario Kart Tour tracks in a traditional Mario Kart game. So the Mario Kart yep. Tour is is the phone game. And that one is, uh, it's, it's interesting because it's, pardon? It's a gacha game. Oh, is it actually? I didn't know that. 
Like, like, kinda. Like, it, it, it is, it is catch a light. It is a really predatory microtransactiony. Mm, yeah. No, I knew but, it was microtransaction central. But at the beginning and all throughout, people saying the tracks in there are great. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so it's got an interesting, unique thing where all of the tracks are real world locations. So it's actually Paris and it's actually Tokyo. It's not like New Donk. You know, it, it, if there's a New York track in tour, it'll be New York. Um, mm. And so, but the, the courses are designed differently because the mechanics of that game are different. You are always driving forward and it's more about steering left and right. And then the courses change dynamically. It's like a left becomes a right and it loops back around on itself. That was really fun to experience in the actual game. Um, so the the Tokyo course, yeah, like I said before, has a left that becomes a right and all of a sudden you're you're on a different overpass that goes a different direction. Um, and it feels really dynamic and fun. Uh, it The first one, which is Tokyo, feels really simple. It does feel very straightforward. It's what's always happening. The Paris one is like you have to drive around like the the Arc de Triomphe with the big <laughs> the like the nine lane roundabout they've got like a like a two lane version of that in there That's so cool. you have to choose left and right and then you you drive under the Eiffel Tower a bunch and then it like it kind of doubles back on itself entirely for the third lap so you do the second lap and there's this piranha plant and then there's the finish line and then they take you in this really tight loop and all of a sudden your third lap is going backwards through the course oh, and neat. so those, that's what's best about those mobile courses is they're, they're really dynamic in which ways they take you. Oh. Um, but then also they've got uh, a couple of ones from the DS game, which I've just found like a really fun, like they've got really good turns. Like it's it's not too tricky, but it's good fun and it, it just felt really good to play. Yeah, well, because those turns on the DS especially were like, you know, D-pad turns. Yeah, yeah, that's a good um, point. And so there was not a whole lot of like granularity mm. back mm. then yeah in terms of like how many boost like uh drift boosts you're going to unlock through the turn and yeah all that mm. um but then one that was interesting is they've got choco mountain on there which is a course from n64 which is it was always a bit weird it's um it's got boulders dropping down the cliff it's really foggy there's this bit where you go around this lake and you end up about two meters above the course that you were at about 30 seconds ago, but there's no barrier. So you can always just fall off the course and all of a sudden you're 30 seconds behind literally everyone else. And so when I play the original game, I'm or rather when I play the remastered track on Mario Kart 8, I'm like, Oh, this feels better. There's this like crystal cave. I'm like, Oh, I don't remember this. This looks great. And, and the, the boulders still fall down and it still goes around the lake and stuff like that. And I played it and I'm like, Oh wow, this is amazing. And then I went back to the N64 one to show Sam and I'm like, oh, actually, they changed this. They changed like half of this map. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like it's really different for the better. There isn't that 30 second drop off anymore and, and cool. it looks way better. And it's way more polished. And there's there's moments where there's it's just got like a straightaway in a, in, a, in, a, in the kind of way that you don't really get in all in newer Mario Kart courses. You don't get that many straightaways in a Mario Kart 8 track. Yeah, not many. And then it's got the thing in Mario Kart 64 they had at the end of the course where it's like three really steep jumps. And so you jump off one and then you land on one. It's like, because yeah. you're hitting the top of another hill. And yeah. so it's cool seeing the identity of the game there. But they were like, we got to, we got to not just sand down these rough edges. We got to, we got to take these out. We got to transplant some modern design in here because it's rough. Yeah, right. um, 
And then they've got one brand new course in there, which is like a... It's sort of you, you kind of see it popping up in more and more Nintendo games since Odyssey, I want to say. But you know when you get to the near the end of Odyssey and there's the sort of traditional Japanese kingdom where they've got the the old style temple buildings with the um to like the arch roofs that get smaller and smaller as they go up. Um, so they've got a, a like a ninja temple. I think it's something like that. Like there's a couple of shurikens and stuff like that in the in the course, and it's that one is not. A Mario Kart Tour course, but it is almost as dynamic as one, where they've kind of got two or three layers on the course on top of each other at any given moment, mm. and so you're constantly. Well, you all start on like the ground level, but every time there's like a like an air moment where your paraglider opens, you can hit like an air gust, and that can take you up into the rafters of the next section, which then gives you different access to items and. Um, there's this this raising and lowering shuriken board that you don't want to get crushed by. But if you come in on top of the course in the second lap, you can ride on top of the shuriken board and that can put you on the next one. But because it's raising and lowering, it's constantly putting people in different areas of the map. So you're, you're always ending up in a different section. It feels right. so dynamic. It's cool. really, really fun. I only played them all through once. But I was left with a really, really positive impression. Now, the soundtracks aren't as jazzified as they are in the original Mario Kart 8 tracks, which is, I think, understandable um, because they got, like, a proper studio band to do all of those. Um, and, like, they were super high quality. So, like, I'm sad that they're not, like, fully fully reworked and properly mastered and recorded and all of that. Um, but the ones they've got there are totally fine. It, it's oh, it's okay. not an issue. It's just not the awesome jazz Mario Kart 8 soundtrack. Yeah, that is like a cut above. Yeah, exactly. It's 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 so highly produced and arranged and recorded. It's it's just not that. Which is fair. I get it. Hopefully yeah. they double down Mario Kart. Like I would love if they dash. just do that again. <laughs> not not double dash i hope i hope they do like a soundtrack like that again for the next one though sure um but yeah it's extremely positive like if you're not that keen on it i reckon just wait until there's th- there's been three drops and there's 24 courses yeah right it's like at some point it's just like a yeah i'll buy it sort of thing yeah what is it it's like 25 us or something like that like 30 something or 40 like australian you get twice as many tracks you get another it's Mario just, Kart game. Yeah, basically. Um, is there a, off the top of your head, is there a Switch level? Like one where you drive around on the Nintendo Switch? No, 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 no. Definitely okay. not. Because they did that for most of the others. Uh, not in the, I don't think they did a 64 version. They definitely did it on DS. That's the first one I remember where you're riding it, around on the It was the handheld the thing. Cause I think they did a, th- maybe it wasn't a 3DS one. They did some, they did it. They did more than one. I only remember the DS one. I'm pretty sure it was a multiplayer battle map. Right, okay. Because it's it's not like an interesting course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, it's an arena. Yeah, so it was just like, yeah, the two sides and you like hit the hinge of the DS and you go like bonk and you ride it around on the screen. That's such a funny idea for a, for, a, for a level. Yeah, I think because it was simple enough that you could play it in the download play. You remember the DS download play? Yeah. I guess it was... Back. Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's pretty difficult to do that. Like that worked because the games weren't large enough that that wasn't a problem. 
where you could just send part of a game to the to another console. Yeah. Whereas now it's just like just download the game from the eShop sort of thing. Yeah, totally. Or there's like a multiplayer demo. Yeah. And it's like two gig. Uh, so yeah, that's what we've been playing this week. We are going to have a quick break and then we're going to come back to talk about games that commit to themselves. Games with strong direction, uh, games with uh, 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 a commitment to... Well, a commitment to itself, perhaps for the better and perhaps for the worse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, have a think about that, everyone. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Minimap Cast. Uh, 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 I, I didn't think of anything to bring myself out of that voice. Uh, we're going to talk about games that commit to themselves and it's a bit of a vague topic um it's sort of inspired by stranger of paradise and how like strong a vision it has of like jack being such a tool and such a one-note character like that's quite a it's quite a decision that has to be made you know what i mean and and like it feeds into his combat like his brutal combat and the soul burst where he turns stuff into crystals and it all explodes like it's all it all feeds in it all makes sense right yeah um so the the start of this topic that we've got written here is what does it mean for a game to commit to itself what do we mean yeah. when we're talking about that uh going to start off with your feelings on that yeah, yeah, I do. So I think there 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 are so many different examples of this and so many examples that that aren't it. And we've got specific ones that we'll get into in a minute here, but I think what's interesting about a, a game that really commits to the vision of what it's trying to achieve and what it looks like as it's trying to achieve and how it plays is mm-hmm. there seems to be a really tight interweaving between the the user interface the, the mechanics which feed into the story and the performances and the writing and that feeds into the aesthetic of the world as well it's it like it, it's it's when all of those things really really adhere to themselves and one another and strengthen each other in a way i would say that uncharted kind of isn't a game that commits to itself in that way it has very strong direction but it's also got that thing of like, oh, they're the good guys and, oh, you're kind of killing a thousand random mercenaries. Like, that's kind of weird. And you have these really strong character moments and then it's followed up by a, a like an arcade gunfight. Like, it kind of feels, you're kind of doing different things at different times. Yeah. And like, you know, we're not talking about, you know, like a, a break between narrative and, and, and gameplay exclusively. It's no. about like the whole experience sort of needs to... It's kind of like um, uh, creativity via like uh, restriction mm. or like via boundaries. Like, you know, like it has, sort of has to like set up some rules for itself to play in mm. and then see how far it can stretch itself while also staying within the box that it has since just created for itself. Yep. I, th- I, th- I, think, I think we're sort of on the same page in that regard. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And we brought this up. Um, I'm not sure if we brought this up in the podcast last week or if this was out of the podcast, but we were talking a bit about uh, Kojima games, right? And Death Stranding and Metal Gear Solid as being examples of this. Uh, Because, you know, in this, 
let's not delve too much into auteur theory, but like, you know, Kojima's games have very strong direction. And you see that in the start of Death Stranding, when we watched that video we spoke about a few weeks ago, where um, Norman Reedus, what's his name? Sam Bridges is walking across the thing. Sam Porter Bridges. Sam Porter Bridges, apologies. (laughs) And he's walking across the landscape to start off the game and music starts playing and it pops up with the, the, the like music that pops up across the screen as part of the user interface. As if it's like a music video. That's like the music video, like beginning and ending of what the song is. When it came out, the publisher yeah. of the song and like, yeah. Mm. But also in a way that is like, oh, Sam Porter Bridges is listening to this song right now as he's walking. Like it's mm. it's part of the song. What, what, is, what is, is it diegetic? Yeah. Diegetic. Yes, it, it is diegetic. Occurring within the context of the story and able to be heard by the characters. Right, yeah, so it's diegetic. And and it all sort of feeds in. Or like in Metal Gear Solid Five, right, when, when you open a menu, it's Snake pulling out his like fancy cassette player that's got like a like a hologram UI on top of that. That's your menu system is going through that. And when you yeah. play music, it's it's the tape player on his belt that's playing. It all feeds in. Yeah, but I think it's important to note as well that it's not like I think, at least of my opinion, I'm not sure how you agree with it. Um, it doesn't for it to commit to itself because because what we spoke about then is mostly just like immersion and a lot of just like in in game, like like a diegetic gameplay. I guess we'll we'll call it sure. Um, I think it's important to know that it it also doesn't take itself like it takes itself seriously like wholeheartedly as normal and doesn't bring attention to itself that it is ridiculous in that way right like so going forward in death stranding you collect monster energy drinks and the camera becomes a part of the game in a weird way. You're sitting in your bedroom and to, if you want to look at the thing behind Sam in Death Stranding, he grabs the camera and then points behind him and then brings the camera over to it and then sits mm. next to it. Mm. And it's really weird and is never explained as far as I'm aware. Mm. It's not like the camera exists in a physical space, but you are a part of that experience. Right. And so do you feel that them sort of breaking that fourth wall, let's say, do you feel that that detracts from the game committing to itself? Do you think that that disqualifies it for a, for something in this discussion? No, and I think because it's done to enhance the feeling of the the game being a game um it 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 being its own thing um like it's it's a decision that was made to enhance the game like the choice was made to do that it it, it's like while it's funny and i'm sure the people that were making it thought it was funny you know kojima is not a man without a sense of humor i'm sure he thought that was a funny idea he did not do it to make fun of the game right at least my my read on that is he did not do that to bring attention about like how silly is this video game sort of thing. Hmm. He did it as a stylistic choice, which has no real impact on anything, but did it because it's a stylish thing to do. Um, Totally. Totally. My movie example 
yeah. is in The Matrix 2 when <laughs> Neo is fighting the, the mini army of Smiths. There's a part where he grabs one of the Smiths, throws it at a bunch of other ones, and the sound effect of the of a bowling ball hitting some pins plays. Yeah, 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 yeah was, like the strike sound. There's no reason for that. It's really funny. It's very stylish and not treated as a joke. No. Or rather, not treated as a joke at the expense of the movie. But also, it's not like a part of the Matrix. It's not diegetic. It's just, no. it's just there for us. It's a sound effect. It's yeah. sound like, and there is no reasoning or rhyme behind it. It is just style and not laughing at anything in particular. It is just a funny thing to do. Interesting. Which is in its own way a sort of commitment to a bit, right? Like yeah, it's like, 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 you know, the, the Wachowski sisters would have had to look at that and go like, they, I'm sure they measured it. They went like, do we want to put this in? And at some point they're like, yeah, we got to put it in. Yeah. It's, it's too good to not put in. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I think we should, let's get into our examples here. So we'll, we'll talk yeah. about some games that we think do and do not do this. Um, yeah. And I guess, and we'll sort of bring it back around to more general discussion afterwards. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's interesting thinking about these games because I'm trying to I'm trying to think about games not not games that really don't and are messes and stuff like that. But what's the example of a game that's great and doesn't commit to itself but is still fun? Like it's it's you know what I mean. That's why I sort of brought up Uncharted before because I'm trying to I'm trying to determine where that line is. Yeah. So yeah, yeah um, do you- like I think I've got one that that really tries to and then actually fails at the last moment mm. um, to do it, which is uh, Red Dead Redemption 2. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I think this game is fucking fantastic. I have spoken about Red Dead in the past. I think it's really excellent. It's really long. And one of the through line themes of the game is uh, the end of the West and what happens when the Cowboys can no longer exist in the world that they're in. It's throughout mm. the entire thing. It's all about the one final score so we can all retire. You know, we can all finally relax, et cetera, et cetera. We just got to get that one final score because they know that like this gang, Dutch's gang is like it's, it's time is running out. The world yeah. is changing and it's leaving, leaving the concept of cowboys behind. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to talk about some, uh, some structural spoilers of the game, not uh, plot spoilers. Um, what happens at the end of the game after you've finished the campaign, specifically the campaign I'm not going to talk about, after that you then enter the epilogue. The epilogue is another like five or six hours at least. Yeah, I've heard it's um, long. I, like, I hear people like, get to the epilogue and they're like, why is this still going? <laughs> yes. Like it is like, it's a, it's a really weird chapter. It's quite a good chapter, but it is really weird. And um, the reason it's weird, this is, this is the spoiler. Uh, you are playing as John Marsden. Right. Um, years after the, um, the ending of the, of the main campaign. Um and you like it, it it basically leads into red dead 1 right that is that is where the that is where the that chapter is set like within a few weeks slash months like right up until red dead 1 or like i, th- I think yeah, yeah. Right, okay um that's cool yeah like it, it, it's it's a really cool moment um and it, it you get to have some really great story with john and it's really interesting 
where the game fails to commit to what it's trying to talk about is, like I said, the entire game is all about time is running out. When you play as John Marsden, you can finish side quests that you started as Arthur Morgan. Right. And that doesn't make any sense. (laughs) No. That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And I think that they shouldn't have done that. I think if it were to commit to itself, what it would have done is those missions, like you don't get to finish them. Like, hey, guess what? Like the West is almost done. Like sometimes you have to move on. You don't get to finish every plot. You don't get to see all the endings to the quests. You don't Mm. get to save everybody. You can't save everybody. Like time's ticking and, you know, the world is moving and sometimes that's it. Because that's like, that's what the game is like saying to you, but it's not giving you that a lot of the time. The world changes throughout the game. You know, like there's a, one one of the great um, examples of it is there's like a train track that's slowly being um, built along the entire map. And so as the, as the game progresses, that train track slowly gets built. You can actually watch it happen in real time. Um, going back towards the houses that are not there at the beginning of the game to built at the end of the game, et cetera. And then when you play as um, John in the epilogue, the map has changed dramatically. It's a different season. Things have changed, et cetera. Um, but all these side quests are still there. And yeah, that's because 10 years they know, later. Yeah. And that's because they know that people would have been upset about it. Yeah. Because because it's a video game, right? You know, people want to tick all the boxes and stuff. And that goes directly against what the game is telling you and showing you in the world. The gameplay part of it, I think, failed there. I think that's I understand fair the re- I understand the reasoning, but I really wish they would have went like, hey, like, like you don't like you know what give me the world where i didn't do this side quest give me the fucked up version that i didn't fix or whatever or maybe yeah. give me a better version because i meddled in it as arthur and actually ruined it mm-hmm. um and like they could is- have done it a couple of different ways right where they maybe you get to the end of the epilogue and then you unlock a mode where you can go back to the time before the end of the main campaign as Arthur and then you can tick off all the boxes, right? Sure, and yeah. maybe give you a warning before that as well um, to sort of satisfy that criteria and to let the player know what's going to happen vaguely. Yeah. Um, and it's worth mentioning that there's a couple of them uh, you can't get to, but those are largely like time-based um, side quests and they do restart, which is maybe even weirder, where you have to restart the side quest from the beginning as John. Um, I think to maybe like make that a bit more cohesive in between you start something as Arthur and then finish it as John, um, which is better, but also like I think you should have actually taken that away. You should have said like, hey, you don't get this. You don't it get makes to finish me, this. It makes me think, and the times I've played Red Dead, I've thought to myself, I'm here because the story is meant to be excellent. Yeah. What if this was just a single player narrative? What if this was an Uncharted, you know, and it wasn't necessarily an open world? Right, yeah. What if it was a more linear narrative-focused game? I, I think I would maybe appreciate it better because you, you spend so fucking long just getting around. <laughs> I actually disagree which is rare for me to say that i don't want an open world game to be linear okay um i think in that game 
that game earns its open world and its quiet moments. Um, it's quiet moments in between missions. Mm. Um, and I think because the world genuinely offers you a ton of peaceful moments to decide what you want to do. Mm. Um, and that includes getting around. I think, I think even just riding from point A to point B on your horse does kind of make you feel something in that game because the music and the world is beautiful and the horses, you know, leveling you rendered with the testicles that, that move depending on the temperature, et cetera. But like, it's all, um, it is all crafted with a, with a level of intention that, that I think does add to the game. Um, but I, that being said, I totally understand your reservations because it makes the game way fucking bigger. Um, mm. I just think that the, the moments that it gives you and the, the availability of those moments does actually uh, like prove its worth to make the game open. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, it's, it's funny because like, you know, it would be easier for it to tell that story if it was an open world, right? Because that's, yeah. that's, that's what is, that's the friction you're finding there is, is like to, to make sure that players aren't put off by a decision they made that they didn't realize would have so many ramifications, you know, they, they, they went the frictionless path and made it so that you can continue on where you, where you left off. And that makes sense. Um, and that's them committing to yeah. John being who you're going to play as after the campaign finishes. Right. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's interesting. It, it's that, that one is like, there's so many plates to spin right now where it's like, we were talking about how it all, it all coalesces and it all comes together and it all into interacts with itself and it all um, acknowledges the others. Like that's that's one I feel like where the where the gigantic scope of the project means that it's almost impossible to make it all work together properly. Yeah, and you know I think like they've done obviously an incredible job mm. getting it to that point. And like the, the other part of the epilogue, which I'm not going to spoil here, is like just astounding that that. It, they did what they did. Um, and I think actually works in favor of it committing it to committing to itself. Um, I'm not going to talk about that here though, because mm. I think, I think even if you haven't played that game and you plan on finishing it, like it is a, it is a, yeah, Kerry's <laughs> raised his hand. Um, me. <laughs> uh, it is, it is worth finding out for yourself if you can. Hey Jeremy, you remember I said that was like three and a half years ago. Yeah, it's more than that. No, it's not more than that. It Isn't came it, out at the end 20? of 2018. Oh, I thought it was Evil Fryer. Sorry. No. no, but it it came out when we were doing Minimap. Yeah. We've been, we've been doing this for ages. <laughs> I know. Because it came out while we are at PAX. I yeah, bought that PAX. Right. <laughs> I didn't remember that. I remembered coming over to your house, though, and playing it. Mm. And then I wrote an article about it. You can find it on minimap.com.au. Uh, do you want to go straight into your other pick or do you want to do mine first? What do you reckon? Uh, you do yours. Okay, cool. So one that I've picked, and this is a recent game that I've been playing, um, but it's really hard not to think of it when when I'm playing. It is Persona 5, uh, Royal specifically. Um, been playing it. I, I mentioned it on the last podcast last week. Um, it's been really nice to just play a narrative single-player game. This game is so stylish. Mm. It and it speaks to something that I that I'll I'll bring up 
um, once I've sort of spoken through the whole game, but the user experience is so... Yeah. It's... Like in in one way, it's like really standard stuff, like visual novel, like text based or or audio based, you know, conversations and stuff like that. Decisions you make along the way, and then you know, getting around a city to go to different vendors, and then you got turn based JRPG battle system. Like it all makes sense, you know what I mean? Like it all is the way it is, but. The way they contextualize every single one of those different kind of modes of gameplay within the game is through this outrageously stylistic user interface and experience. So you've got like the even when you're just in a conversation, everything's animated. The the text box lines are, are jiggling and moving in in animation and nothing is symmetrical. There's no square rectangular box that is a one uniform size that the text is fitting in. Every time you press A, or X rather, the the box changes and it's a different animation. The The character's like, like portrait is framed in a frame that is jiggling and moving around. It's all framed so stylistically and then you get into the combat and everything moves in a 3D space and then the, the UI is almost popping off of characters. And none of that is... Like you could have done all of that in a bog standard fashion, like in like Final Fantasy VII, the original, right? Let's say it had yeah. a menu system like that, and it would work, but it would be far less palatable. I think I feel like you would see the seams of the game so thoroughly, and what that style allows you to do is to become absorbed in the game in a way where you start feeding into the daily loop where it's like you've got you know in the morning you go to school there's normally a lesson or you like read a book on the train and then you've got time to do one thing in the afternoon time to do one thing in the evening and then it's the next day and it's finding those things you know different people are available at different times during different days during the week there are different things that happen during the city at different times during the week you're like oh it's tuesday i gotta make sure i go down to the that vendor because they have a, a smaller line at that time and then I can get an item and then I can use that to fight the palaces when I'm being the phantom thieves in the metaverse, which is what they call it, which is kind of gross now. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so like it, that style for something that as I talk about it, even I feel like it's a superficial detail, but it's so every, it, it's, it, it's in every detail. This style is oozing out of this game. And it helps you to buy in and and be in this world. When you're when you're reading text from um your team, you know, your character brings up your phone and then there's a different kind of text menu. When you're like when you're thinking about what to do for the afternoon, sometimes you get texts from your um confidants and you can just go straight to them by responding to their text messages. Be like, yeah, cool, I'll be there in 20 minutes. Yeah. And then otherwise you can just like open a train map and ride across, ride through the, this map of real locations in uh, Japan. It's, it's really impressive because like mm. I said, it seems so superficial, but it's, it's in every detail. It's in every scene. It's in every menu navigation. I've never seen so many unique character menus like when you go to the, the 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 weapon shop dealer who sells like model weapons, 
he's got such a different looking menu to any other any other person and then you go to the 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 the, the clinic doctor and she's got a way different menu and like i don't know it just it keeps you hooked it 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 removes all it kind of disguises how much of a game it actually is and when you play it you can see it you can see like i said that loop of 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 gameplay activities and daily activities but it's all under this veneer of what the game is which is just fun like it's fun and stylish and and sincere and honest and a bit quirky I don't know. It it it's such it is such an, a complete package where it all speaks to itself that I kind of can't single out any one thing because it's that style and it's just everywhere. It's just, it, it is everything after that. Yeah, like and I think like comparing that to Persona 4 while Persona 4 is like also a really excellent game, it doesn't do that as much. Persona mm. 4 is a lot a bit more gamey. Mm. Um, and I don't mean that like meat. I mean that like video. <laughs> um, it's like the UI is a lot more standard. Like it's still it's still pretty like pretty stylish and stuff in its own way. But it's it's not like that. Yeah. Um, and so you can tell that they were like they were really gunning for something when they were mm. making this one. And it took a while for them to make it. Like Persona Four was a PS2 game. Yeah, it was. Um, which, you know, got re-released onto the Vita into the, you know, the wonderful version of it that is Persona 4 Golden. But, you know, it's a, it's a long time between meals. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Persona 5 and then the re-release of Persona 4 to a lesser extent on PC has then shot it into, like, you know, a franchise that people are actively excited about. Mm. Um. So yeah, like they, they went for something and then nailed it. And then like, you know, like I really hope that they can do that again with the next one. Right. Cause you know, if they go back to a bit more like, you know, like a a bit more standard, let's say, um, then the worry is that people are going to not be as, as inclined to it because they're going to like, Oh, like, like they're expecting something flashy and stylish that only really this entry has been Mm. at least to the level that they hit. Mm-hmm. And you know, like, like you, it's the kind of thing you, where you look at, oh, they're going to make a second Breath of the Wild. Jeez, how are they going to do that? They set the bar so yeah. high. Like it's the same problem. It's the same conundrum. Like, how are they going to do it again? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, and you've said before, like the Persona games are quite distinct, aren't they? Like in Persona Four, it's not like like to going to distorted people's cognitions of worlds and trying to change their hearts so they they so do better it, things it, it is and it isn't you are it is still like character studies it is still like learning about what this person is at okay. the base level and they're like inner reservations and stuff but it's 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 a different style hmm. um in persona 4 it's you're solving a murder Oh. that like 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 you are like a bunch of kids that like some like people keep getting killed and hung on like electrical wires like the overhead mm. and then it's like every like mid every rainy day on a certain tv channel it turns on and you get transported into the tv world right um it's fucking sick it's really it's really great yeah 
Yeah, um, well, you know, they're, they're allegedly working on it. I doubt, I, it's probably getting close. P5R came out in 2019, I think. Uh, yeah. And I think the original came out in 2017. Um, so, like, they've, they've had time. I mean, they're also working on Shin Megami Tensei. That's true. That's the same team. I forget that. Uh, and that came out last year. So, yeah, I mean... It's hard to see them doing it again because it, it's such a vision, you know. It's mm. such, it's such a singular focus executed really, 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 really well. Mm. Um, one that I think does really well, which is a, a quite a minor thing, um, and this this is something that I was reminded of uh, just the other day um, when uh, I was on Discord and I was reading that uh, Kerry's partner Sam. Um, was playing Bloodborne uh, and we were talking about how it takes a while before the hunter in Bloodborne um, is allowed to level up. Uh, you have to go and at least meet the first boss, which is not nearly as early as every other boss in, in a Souls game. You get a boss immediately in basically every other one, uh-huh. um, which, you are, which you are expected to die to. Um, in Bloodborne, it takes a while before you get to one. Um, you got to go through like the early a central Yarnum area. Yeah. And you got to go through like a ton of enemies. You have to learn how to play the game, honestly, before you are allowed to even get to the boss. Um, most playthroughs, there are other ways you can do this, but like once you get to the boss, you gain uh, one insight, which allows you to uh, level up. Insight in the game is your ability to see the unseen. Um, and allow you to understand the world as it truly is. Um, it is the currency in that game that allows you to, if you spend it, you can buy certain items from a special shop, um, as well as when you summon um, an, an ally in it, you spend one insight to do that. Mm. Uh, the doll, who is your level up, um, your level up souls woman, because <laughs> that's all, <laughs> everyone in fucking, in all of these games is a woman. Um even even in the first Dark Souls, you don't need to talk to like a woman to level up, but the bonfires are lit by fire keepers. Yep. And a lot of them are women. <laughs> yep. That's a that's a different conversation topic that, that they keep doing that, but that's all right. Um, <laughs> uh, in this, the doll. Um, only responds to you if you have insight because you can see the true form, basically. Um, why I think that commits to itself, which we spoke about over Disco the other day, is that if you actually run out of insight, you, the, you, like, the doll will actually become lifeless again mm. and you will not be able to level up. And I think that is a really small way of committing to its thing because like its rules. It, yeah, it's its own rules that's it, that it's establishing. Inside, the more you gain insight, the the different things happen as well. Um, I had a list here which I think I've happened to lose. Um, uh, what? But like when you gain like fifteen insight, I think um, you gain another shop. Uh, here we go, mechanics. So when you gain one insight, the doll will wake up. Uh, Messengers will give you um, a bunch of items, including the ability to summon online players, um, as well as there's a there's another shop that opens up, which allows you to uh, buy 
like basically like hunter gear from hunters you've slain. Um, as you get 15, 30, 40, 50, um, not a lot changes, but some really minor things happen where like different enemies spawn in this location. Some enemies get certain buffs and there's like one of the big reveals can happen a little bit early, which I think is kind of neat. Um, and then if you lose it again, then those things actually revert, but they revert all the way back to, if you get zero, they will revert all the way back to you not being able to level up. Um, Mm. which is a, it's a, like a negative in terms of gameplay, right? It's a, it's a kind of harsh thing. You can always get more insight. You are never like, as far as I'm aware, there's no way you can spend every insight in the game and suddenly have your game soft lock. If you were to do that, you would probably have to intentionally do that because if you were spending all of your insight, there's a good chance you're doing it intentionally at this point. Right. Um, you don't lose it upon death or anything like it, it will stay with you. Um, but they've set their rules up and then committed to those rules to the extent where you could potentially like have your game locked off for a chunk mm. of time, mm. um, which I think is a really good commitment to its own rules um, where it's, it's, it's law can negative of, negatively affect your gameplay. Um, and like that makes sense within like how they've designed the game, even in that first area, right? Where they, they give you the scenario that you have to overcome. And if you don't, like there's really not that many options for you. You you kind of have to. Yeah. yeah. And so that that being a part of that is like this is how it is. You got to make it work. Yeah, and you know, like the obvious accessibility like discussion aside in terms of yeah, these games should have difficulty options and abilities that you don't like like ways you can beat the game with with like out issue basically. Mm. The idea that like there's a lot of things in games as art where people like, you know, I default to this and I'm, I'm trying to wean myself off it as much as possible where people talk about like fun as like a, as a metric for games, which I think is largely extraordinarily reductive. Um, but also the idea that like uh, the idea that games shouldn't be challenging is a different conversation to games shouldn't be accessible games should be challenging with the option of you being able to overcome those challenges. But the idea that like games as art needs to be friendly to you and not be challenging to you as art, I think is really terrible. Right. Um, yeah. And, and has led to like, in a way like led to like worse games, you know, I think one of the one of the things that the Ubisoft games do really poorly is challenge you because they're trying to make them accessible to everybody in in the same way like a like a Disney or Marvel movie will do it or Star Wars where they'll make everybody can watch this one because we're not going to make you think at all you know the Ubisoft characters in these games will tell you what you need to do every 10 seconds so mm. you go and do it Mm-hmm. We're going to give you every option available for you to make sure you know what you're doing so you don't have to think about it. They've erred away from that in some of the Assassin's Creed games, right? Where they've got that exploration mode. Uh, yeah, but that's not that's not really the way you play the game. Um, the default version of that is not quite that. 
Mm. Um, and like, look, it's that's a the way they design their games is is sort of like a whole nother can of worms. But I mean that in the example of like those games are not challenging um, because they don't want to annoy anybody because right. they don't want to challenge anybody, which kind of makes them bad art. <laughs> Right, because it's it's kind of trying to appeal to as many people as possible, no matter what. Yeah, without giving you anything to like think about. Mm. And that's it's sort of that. Sorry, I was just going to say, make it, you think it kind of is bad. Right. Yes. In my opinion, I get that. It reminds me of what you what your conclusion was about Red Dead, where you, you know you're saying they they didn't commit to what the the effect of this narrative conclusion would be for the gameplay. Yeah. And that's because they didn't want the friction of losing quests and the players feeling like, oh, I'm looking forward to doing that now. I can't. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like the it's the it's the next step of that. And it's sort of what I was thinking about where it's like, oh, a game could be good. A game could be fun. A game could be successful. A game can be all these things, but not necessarily have committed to all of its its themes and its limitations and its yeah. it's it's lore and its world building affecting the things that came before it and how you interact with the game. Um, Even something as toothless as um, uh, fucking Detroit Become Human, um, there was the big like thing about like, so Kara, one of the main uh, androids in Detroit Become Human, um, if you beat that game and you like allow the android like uh, revolution to go through, um, the initial version of that game, Kara was in the main menu of the game talking to you as if it's like a sort of like a diegetic digital assistant sort of thing with the menu in front of you to like load game, et cetera, settings. Mm. If you beat the game and the revolution happens, she disappears from the main menu, mm. um, which I think is really cool. She's not mm-hmm. there anymore. The fuckers added her back in a patch. <laughs> what? Yeah. Why? People got mad that she wasn't there anymore. Ugh even though the whole point of it was that she was finally free. Yep. That game doesn't even understand itself. No, no. And you know, there's a lot of issues with Quantic Dream, but yeah, that's, that's upsetting. Yeah. Patches, patches to, uh, rework endings for a game. If they're, if they're like underbaked, like I can see it. And that's, that's a problem of development and like, it shouldn't have happened that way. But, yeah, like where it's like we made fans. a stylistic choice and people got annoyed and so we 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 bowed yeah. our heads to them. Yeah. Like commit to your art. Like that's a cool <laughs> idea to have it removed from the menu. Yeah. Heaven forbid you do that. Yeah, it's like uh we we're, we're getting like as as many as 50 comments on Reddit about this. Mm. So you know, the people have spoken. Um, 50, 50 comments, you know. Whoa. I've mentioned I've mentioned Quantic Dream and David Cage's game, so I think it's very worth mentioning to like uh fuck David Cage. Uh, yes. <laughs> fuck <Agreed>. David Cage. <laughs> always. Agreed. And the, never, the never a bad time. It it is it is always ethically um it is always morally correct to say fuck David Cage. Yep, definitely. We do not support the toxic environment that allegedly is <laughs> uh pervasive within their studio. And uh, so th- this goes into the final part we want to talk about where it's like, you know, it does, a, does a game being self-aware that it is a game undermine itself or rather undermine its commitment. Right? Yeah. So when we, when we spoke about this topic originally last week, I brought up Donut County. Yeah. And you didn't seem to, you, you weren't on the same page with me on that one as a game that, that commits to itself. And you were saying, 
that it's what because it, it's sort of self-referential and it's and it's it is poking fun and it's and it's commentating on other like tropes in games sometimes and like you were saying it isn't necessarily one that you would say is in that bag kind of like i think i think it does sometimes um it does commit to itself in some good ways um for example the notes that you read that are written by someone inside of the company that you are fighting against like i think that's that's a really good way of committing to itself because it's it's item descriptions but they are like going to use the phrase again phrase of the topic they are diegetically written by someone inside the game um but i think that game is very like aware and talks about that it's a game in a way like it doesn't talk about it but like it it knows and it knows to 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 poke that line a little bit to push that like hey like we know we're a game sort of thing like remember like you're playing a video game so Um, why is it for you that that action that that decision they've made feels less like they've committed to the design of the game or the way it goes, the way the way the game is interpreted and played. I think because suddenly the conversation leaves the product or leaves the art. Suddenly it has shifted the perspective of um, the game's voice to being outside of itself. Okay. Um, Another, like an example of this, which is a, a, a bit more of an extreme example of this, um, but I think it still talks to what I'm talking about is uh, spoilers for the end of uh, One Division, um, where throughout, like, like throughout a chunk of One Division, um, there is uh, the Scarlet Witch's brother, Quicksilver, who has died in universe, um, come has returned into this world. Um, we don't know how that's part of like the, the story is like, how is, how is the Scarlet Witch's brother back? However, he's not played by the same actor as he was in the previous movies, not because they, they recast um, Aaron Taylor Johnson, but they specifically chose the actor from the X-Men universe to play this Quicksilver in the non-X-Men universe. This was right. after Marvel bought Fox and we knew that the mutants were coming in some form or another. And it was a big reveal that like, hey, guess what? It's not the X-Men from this universe. It's the X-Men from another universe. And people immediately jumped to, and did million theories, blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't care that the theories were fake. I don't care that it wasn't the X-Men. Like, it, it turns out it's not him. It turns out it's just someone that Wanda has reanimated. But the casting choice is evoking a conversation and evoking a memory that people have that have seen these properties, but no one in the universe has had. Right. Like like no one said, Hey, you're the guy from the Fox universe. He doesn't reference the Fox universe because the Fox universe doesn't exist at this point in time. And so to everybody, he just looks different. Mm -hmm. But the choice that they have made is referencing something to the audience, but is not referencing, not referencing something to the characters. Mm-hmm. And so in universe, it doesn't make any sense why he would look like the Fox X-Men. He's just another guy. Right. But the, the, the way it was leading you on, it was, it was talking about something in a, in, in a more meta level than just itself in a way that I think didn't add to anything. Um, I, think, I think that's fair enough. In that example specifically. 
Yeah, and and I think that that is a that is like that is not committing to itself because if they did commit to itself, they would have given either a reason why he looks like this or not chosen that character. Yeah, that's more of a commitment to like a cameo than it is to it, like the the vision for the show. It's almost a pop culture reference at that yeah. point, right? Because it might as well not be about itself. It just happens that Marvel is big enough that they can make pop culture references to themselves without referencing something in universe. Which um, is pretty wild to think about. Yeah, right. Um, and I think like Donut County sort of does that where like it, like it will talk about itself in a larger context than just itself. It will talk about itself as a video game. And okay, yeah, I think that's fair enough. I do think it does that, like it is committed to doing that in a way where it enhances the game. Like that is the, that's the, the stylistic choice they've made to enhance your actions in the game to put it in this context of these kind of self-aware characters that are making jokes that we get because we're humans playing oh, the game because it was made sure. for humans to play the game. All of those jokes and stuff and it, it doing that, I think was good and did help the game. I think what I'm saying is that when it was doing that, it was actually no longer committing to itself. It was committing to something larger than itself. Oh. It, 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 it was pushing out, like, you know, we were talking about the constraints that it puts itself in. It's actually going outside of those constraints. It is not, it is not pushing inside of those barriers. It is actually going outside of its own barriers. Right. Which is why I think that when I was talking about Kojima games, I specifically referenced Death Stranding and did not reference Metal Gear Solid as much. Or rather, I said Metal Gear Solid was a, didn't commit to itself as much as Death Stranding did. Right. I think, for example, the, my example for that is the Metal Gear Solid hint that is on the inside of one of like the guidebooks. Or the inside of the book that it comes with or something. Like, I think that's yeah, really Yeah, because cool. it's all a bit meta. Yeah. So when you when I, you're saying commits to itself, you're you're thinking of something where it's like, not only do the decisions all um, inform the other choices that are made for the game in terms of the art and the design and the gameplay and the and all of that, yeah. but it's also about it is a contained sort of experience. Yeah, it doesn't have to reference something outside of the art. Yeah. Which I think is interesting why I think Final Fantasy Origin Stranger in Paradise is good at that, even though every level is based on a different world. Yeah, and, and it's th- also pulling in like Frank Sinatra and and Limp Biscuit. Like Yeah. And I think because what they've done is they have pulled those outside elements into its constraints. They've pulled Frank Sinatra, but they haven't, you know. They're not referencing New York, New York. Frank Sinatra is on um, Jack's phone, right? They've suddenly put it inside the constraints of it being literally a physical thing, well, digital thing inside of the world that he's listening to, regardless of where it's come from. I I think I, you know, having poked and prodded at this idea with you a bit, I think I have to disagree on, on this limitation. Um. Like I don't think I don't think that referencing another property or referencing context that a player would have about this game, even though it's not introduced by this game, I don't think that makes it any less of a commitment, right? Like when we think about a 
uh, a movie like um, Deadpool, for example. Sure. That's a movie that's constantly, and like the comics as well, any Deadpool property is constantly breaking the fourth wall, making pop culture references as jokes, as butts of jokes. And, you know, it's it's always pushing the the structure of what a movie is or what a movie's supposed to do. Sure. For the for the sake of comedy. That's a commitment to doing that to the ends of the goal of the film, right? They they commit to those jokes, they commit to that style in a way that enhances the product, the final product. Deadpool as a movie as the movie that it came out as doesn't exist if they don't do it the way it does. Like it, it's, it's kind yes. of impossible for it to be anything else. And, and I completely agree with that. I think, and this might be me going like, I, 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 I promise I'm trying to work this into my feelings about this. Yeah. I, I think, I think the genuine deliberate continuous act of referencing things outside of it, because that's the shtick. Sure. Suddenly brings it into its own barrier. Bring brings it in, into its own. And I know that sounds like I'm going against what I just said. A bit. I, I, I think I think the almost so making he, it making it the point, I think, actually creates their barrier. And you know, don't get me wrong, that barrier gets a lot bigger because that's the point of their them setting up those rules. Yeah. But like, if you reference it once, then I don't think that's good. But if if your point is to continually reference itself, I think that is still then it committing to itself inside the barriers of itself deliberately going to reference everything else. Even if that one time something is mentioned, say in Donut County, they do one single, it's been a while since we've played it, but like sure. I have one single reference to like a pop culture thing. Um like even if they do that once, they're still that's still a deliberate decision on their part to do that and to evoke oh, a certain thing. Sure, but it's not a serious decision. I feel what, what, what? Why not? I think because it's done to. I know I, I like, and I'm still I'm still trying to like find that that balance. Yeah, I like think, it sounds like you've got a like a kind of blurry gray line of delineation like, here, and, and that's and fine. It, we might not we is. might not define it here. Yeah, like I don't I don't think I don't think other of us could actually define it, but I think what it is is like a it's it's maybe a reminder in Donut County that like hey this is a game like we are silly this is a silly video game. Whereas, like, you never forget in Deadpool. You never forget this is a movie that exists in a broader context of of pop culture and the world and, and mm-hmm. world events and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, because it is, like, it is consistently reminding you to the point where, like, that, like that's almost the point of the movie. You know, they don't, the, they don't, like they don't stop the movie to do that. Like it is like the, almost the plot of the movie is to do yeah. that. Whereas so I guess County, you, it might bend a little bit to go out of their way to remind you and then go back. Like it's not going to like affect something. Hmm. So then is it for you that like doing a certain thing, like breaking the fourth wall, referencing the audience, referencing pop culture, 
Like, that's fine if they commit to it. But when they throw in random bits here and there, like, oh, quick cameo, Fox Universe, Quicksilver, you know, like, but that is sort of breaking their commitment where where it's them pulling in something that's irrelevant to their goals? Or is it more like... Because I feel like you could have a fleeting reference to something it further the goals of the product, of the project, of the of whatever it is you're engaging with, mm. even if it is a one-time thing and then it's over. Like I, 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 I sort of want to get away from it, like in it, like my distinction only being purely referential to things that are outside of it. Okay, I, sure. Like, like, like what I mean in terms of, like it is, it is a part of the message of Deadpool that Deadpool exists inside of the broader context of the world, uh-huh. right? He, in the Deadpool video game, he grabs his health bar and whacks enemies with it because inside of Deadpool, Deadpool knows that he exists in the real world inside of a movie, has been a comic book and, you know, all of that stuff. He is specifically aware of it. Whereas, like, because I was trying to think of one that would be sort of less referential than Deadpool, but still referential, and that would be Spider-Verse, a movie that definitely commits to itself, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. definitely acknowledges it's a broader context, but still is a movie that is just about Spider-Man and works and commits to itself. So, like, yeah. and I think the reason being it's because part of the messaging of that movie is about spider-man as a whole what does it mean to be spider-man and so they can they consistently reference things that were invoking spider-man the popsicle the the christmas album right the sam raimi dance scene Mm -hmm. um all of these things that are culturally and explicitly significant to that character are referenced because they are talking about what the message is of spider-man right um the message of metal gear you know the million messages that metal gear has yeah uh while it is cool that they make you look at your manual for a hint of a puzzle i don't think is added like the message isn't furthered by that i I don't know if I, i don't know if what the game is showing you or telling you in donut county is that game like you know it's got a message but it's not like a not like a you know heady game um (laughs) The, uh, the what Donut County is invoking in you, I don't think is explicitly pushed forward and improved by it referencing that it is a video game, for example. Okay. Um. And same with the Quicksilver thing. Mm, mm. Um, yeah, it seems to be very much about you know what the goal of a certain project would be and how they how they enact that, right? <laughs> And, and, you know, a lot of, you know, what I'm talking about is like the read of a game, what it's trying to tell you. And that's, you know, as with all art up for interpretation a lot of the mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'm, I'm not going to go into why because I know you haven't seen it and I think you're planning on it. The fourth Matrix movie, I think, does that almost perfectly. Really? Um, right. I think what it tries to tell you, the, the larger context in, what, in, in which that movie sits in, is just like it is like i watched it again the other day i i can't believe how well i think that was pulled off Mm. um because it like that movie knows that it's the fourth matrix movie that movie knows that it's a sequel to a movie that came out 20 years ago but 
it handles it so perfectly, um, right. in my opinion. Okay, fair enough. It's a it's how, a how very, does that sit with you? It's there are there are lots of delineations here, and like I think at the end of the day, it doesn't matter like what our line is because if a game no. does what it does and it's fun and whether it whether it has committed or not, like it's fine, it's whatever, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, but it's an it's an interesting discussion to think about, you know, because I like it's it's interesting to think about why Persona Five works so well because of its cohesion, because of its dedication to its vision. In yeah. comparison to something like, oh, I mean, like Call of well, Duty, like, I, for example, like, sure, like that's not that's not that's not a game that necessarily has a strong directive vision that is pulling it through all of the decision making as to why this gun's in there and why it shoots like this and why the sound is that. No, it's it's the the point of the game is to be another Call of Duty. Yeah. Still could be a good game, still could be fun, sure. still can have fun yeah. assets and set pieces and whatever. But it's not the same as these examples. So it's it's interesting to think about. Um and I'm glad we can have this discussion without talking about auto theory as well. <laughs> yes, yes. Like, <laughs> I, like one more quick one I think I wanted to bring up was why I think Shadow of the Colossus is wonderful because it commits to itself and, you know, there's no side quest, etc. all that stuff, you know, designed by subtraction or whatever it was called. That being said, the additional, of the, 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 the hidden addition of collectibles that you can then get different items of to do time attacks almost goes against what the design, design philosophy is. But it's so out of the way that you can play the entire game and not experience any of that anyway. Yeah, yeah. Which is really interesting. And a lot of those items are just part of the world as well, like lizard tails and... Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, narratively they fit in the world. Mm-hmm but they serve something that isn't the narrative. They serve mm. you going back and, you know, trying to kill the Colossus in a faster time. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Something else I've thought about as well is like how games that have UI that are part of this system kind of feel like they have this sort of strong direction as well. Like the first Dead Space, well, all of the Dead yeah. Spaces, but it's sure. specifically the first Dead Space where, you know, Isaac's health and fucking magic telekinesis meet or whatever it is, like if their meat is on the back of his suit that you can see as the player and all the menus are sort of similar to what I was saying. It's a hologram in front of him that he's interacting with. And yeah. to save, you walk into like the save cabinet, whatever it is. Like all the, of the that. The map showing up on the ground with the lines and, you know, yeah, the, all the yeah. ammo showing up on the guns as opposed to on the screen. Yeah, and it all feeds into the main mechanics they want to bring into the game, but it does so in a way that keeps you engaged in what they want you to feel moment to moment. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. That 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 UI integration I think is a big part of what makes a game feel that good. Yeah. Whew. We went longer we than we were supposed to. <laughs> a little bit longer than we were supposed to. I, I yeah. like that we went there though. I like that we yeah. were trying to nut that one out. That was fun. Like yes. I look at this and I'm I don't I can't necessarily say what the point was. Like but I think that's okay. Like, I think this is yeah. just kind of a good sort of dissection it, of a topic and just sort of you, feeling it out. Gets you thinking. Yeah. Gets the, gets the, the, the brain flexing. 
Yeah, it gets those juices flowing. You got yeah. them brain juices? Always. I know I do. Every morning I give myself a big syringe into the top of my skull. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> this is a gross <laughs> visual, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> inject my brain with the brain juices. Oh, so that's where the coffee no goes. <laughs> oh my god, it's time for it's time for us to go, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. So too. <laughs> uh, this has been the Minimap Cast. Uh, you can find this on minimap.com.au or on any podcast service of your choice. Uh, you can find us also on Twitter. Uh, we put up a post every time a new episode goes live over there so you can go to twitter.com slash minimapau to find us there um you can also find us there individually i'm there at kj palmer underscore 24 uh jeremy uh at obi-wan jazz uh and if you want to support us monetarily you can also find us on patreon that's that's patreon.com slash minimapau uh it's been slightly revamped recently just sort of a flat five dollar fee just so if you want to support us that would help us you know pay for the the website hosting the podcast hosting and all of that um otherwise we'll be here free for you anyway thank you so much for listening everybody and we'll see you next time